If you have your Bibles, grab them, and I want to talk about the sermon at the seance, the sermon at the seance. We're going to look at several aspects of this. This, of course, is the final moments of King Saul's life, and uh, he is in a bad situation, and he approaches a witch at Endor, and several things happen in this story. I'd like to direct your attention to 1 Samuel 28 and 15, 1 Samuel 28 and 15, and we're jumping in on the middle of the story where the witch has conjured the prophet Samuel because Saul is wondering whether or not he'll be able to get the victory. And Saul is desperate, and so he asks for the prophet to come from the grave. Verse 15, and Samuel said to Saul, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. First Samuel 28, 15, and Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyed not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath, Upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. And the Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And so we're talking about the sermon at the seance. That's, of course, exactly what this was. Can we just put our Bibles down and lift our hands up and let's just ask the Lord to be with us for a few moments, shall we? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that we, unlike Saul, would willingly receive your word with gladness. I pray that your word would be alive and powerful, that we would allow it to change us, to move in us and upon us, Lord. We're desperate for your touch tonight. We want to be right with you. We want to be saved. We want to be sanctified. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good to see you tonight. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We just read the tragic final moments of, of Saul's life. And he was so desperately backslidden at this point in time that he was completely disconnected from the presence and from the voice of God. 
He had absolutely zero spiritual connection to God. And ironically, when he had access to the prophet while Samuel was yet living, he ignored and demeaned the prophet Samuel. But now, in his desperation, when the prophet was dead and gone, he was willing to secretly visit a witch in the middle of the night and dabble in the occult. A crime, by the way, that he had made punishable by death himself. And so now he had added hypocrite to his list of grievances against God and to the people who he reigned over. And all of this, all of this occultism, all of this witchcraft, all of this secrecy, all of this was so that he could hear one last sermon, one last prophecy, one last word of advice from the man of God. Can I just talk for a moment about what it means to be a backslider? There is a moment in the life of every backslider where they long to hear one good sermon one more time. There's a moment in the, in the dynamics of every backslider where they wish that they could hear the word of God preached with anointing one more time. There's that moment where they long to hear the voice of God. They long to feel the touch of God. They want to be in God's presence. They want God to lead them and guide them. But can I tell you, it would be far better for you to go ahead and just make up your mind you're going to serve the Lord now so you don't have to get to a place of desperation where you're playing with things you have no business playing with because you're desperate for one more touch of God. And by the way, it, it, it shows Saul's absolute uh, state of, of reprobateness that he would get to the place that he would convince himself, justify himself in thinking that it would be okay for him to dabble in witchcraft so that he could get a word from God. That's the place that people get to when they remove themselves far from the presence of God. They justify doing terrible, wicked things because they think their motivation is correct. How many times have you talked to someone uh, who said, well, I know that would probably be the wrong thing to do, but at least I'm doing it for the right reasons. God wants us to do the right things for the right reasons. There's no such thing as disobeying God and thinking God will be pleased with it just because you have an outcome that you think will be okay. It would be a good place for someone to say amen. God wants us to be obedient in all things. And so I, I've often thought about this story uh, because I've... I've had many people ask me the question over the years, uh, was Samuel really, truly summoned here? Anybody ever wondered, am I the only strange person who wonders about these kinds of things? And uh, there's disagreement on this. I've come to believe that Samuel actually was there, that it was him, because for one thing, the Bible tells us that it was Samuel. And if the Bible says it, I, I believe it. 1 Samuel 28 and 12 uh, says, And when the woman, when the witch saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? Now remember, we didn't read this part, but Saul came with uh, two servants, and he disguised himself 
when he came into the presence of this witch because uh, he had made witchcraft illegal, punishable by death, and he didn't want to scare her away by revealing himself immediately. So he came in a cloak, disguised himself. She didn't know who she was dealing with. And when the prophet Samuel came from the grave, appeared before them, immediately she realized that the person that she had been dealing with all this time was, in fact, King Saul. And she said, why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. She was fearing for her life. And so presumably, Samuel the prophet revealed to her that the man that she had been dealing with all of this time was, in fact, King Saul. That would be why the scripture shows us that when she saw the prophet, she realized immediately who Samuel was. First Samuel 28, 14 and he said unto her, uh, Saul asked her, he said, what form is he of? What does he look like? And she said, an old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. So clearly, this was not her usual seance experience, and the divination was not of her own power. So... Uh, I'm stepping into my own opinion territory here, but uh, my opinion would be that she did not have power to summon actual people. Usually with divination and with sorcery, there are spirits that happen. Uh, I've, I've sat down with many people who had dabbled with witchcraft, many of them uh, who are now saved, and, uh, and they'll all tell you that there are things that happen. But it's usually, in my opinion, always attached to a familiar spirit. We've talked about that recently. Familiar spirits come. They know things about you. They know things about your family. How many know that demonic forces watch you? They don't have all knowledge. They're not omnipotent. They're not all powerful. They're, they're not omnipresent. But they do watch you. They observe you. And they know things about you. And they don't die. And so they see your family and they know your history. And so a familiar spirit can come into a seance setting and they can know things that your grandma knew and they can know things that your mama knew and they can say things about you and about your family that they've observed over the years and they can present themselves as though they are actually a dead loved one who has come from the grave. That has not what happened in this situation. Uh, clearly, she was expecting a different experience, and when she summoned this up, all of a sudden, it wasn't what she was used to. She was afraid. She was scared. She didn't recognize who came, and uh, at one point, she, she even said, uh, I, see, I see gods. I see a god coming up out of the ground. How many remember reading that in, uh, in Samuel? And so clearly, God stepped into this process of occultism. Did you know God's not intimidated by witchcraft or the occult or the devil or demonic forces? God can step right in the middle of a seance and take over. God can step right into the middle of a, 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 a bar. He can step into the middle of a rock concert. God is not intimidated by any, by any kind of environment. If we think God can only move in a church service, we, we have a sad misperception of God. God can step into any situation. God is there on the battlefield. God is in the hospital room. 
Amen. And so clearly God took over. Praise the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. God took over this satanic ritual and stepped in and allowed Samuel to be revealed to King Saul. And, uh, and I'll take you uh, to the next slide. Now, it's clear to me that when Samuel appeared, that God was doing this on purpose to show that he could bring the dead from the grave, being Samuel, and that he could bring down the living to the grave as well, being King Saul. And this is uh, a continuation of the scripture that God exalts the humble and he abases the proud. Did you know pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction? The first book of Samuel begins with the song of Hannah. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and rises up. That's 1 Samuel 2.6. The second book of Samuel essentially begins with David's lament for the fallen dynasty of Saul. And its refrain reminds everyone of Hannah's song, How the Mighty Have Fallen. And so it is God who exalts and it's God who lays low. And when Samuel finally speaks, when he begins to preach that final sermon from the grave, and by the way, <laughs> for something about my personality, I just like the idea of the old preacher being able to come out of the grave and preach one final time. That just, that something about that just stirs me up. I, I pray when I, if, if, I, if the rapture doesn't take place before I'm gone, uh, one of my final prayers will be, Lord, let me come from the grave and preach one final sermon and just scare everybody to death. <laughs> Just bring me out and let me scare him to death one last time, Lord. <laughs> Amen. And so when Samuel finally begins to speak and, and prophesy and, and what I sometimes call preaching, he tells the king what he already knows. Saul already knew this, that God has judged him because of his past life of rebellion and disobedience. And because of his continued unrepentant disobedience, look at your neighbor and say unrepentant, unrepentant disobedience, God has taken the kingdom from Saul. God has ripped it from him and from his family, and he has given it to another, that other person being uh, David. And so the dead Samuel preaching from the grave is preaching the same thing as the Samuel, as he preached when he was alive. And, uh, and let me just say, we should continue to preach the same thing <laughs> whatsoever state we find ourselves in. We ought to be preaching the same thing. It was a consistent and clear message. Uh, so Samuel preached from the grave. Taking you to the next slide. Let's look at the meaning of this. Uh, King Saul, seeking counsel from a witch, proved Samuel's prophetic words when he was alive. And first condemned Saul because of his disobedience, rebellion. Remember what the prophet Samuel said to Saul when Saul uh, did not kill King Amalek and he did not kill the cattle. It was that turning point in Saul's life when he first rebelled against the prophet and the, and the words of God. Samuel looked the king right in the eye and he said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. So rebellion and arrogance or pride 
are very, very dangerous things. At the time, King Saul probably thought this was an over-the-top prophetic exaggeration. And how many times have you heard a preacher preach a warning and you thought, well, maybe that's kind of true, but he's probably just exaggerating to make the point a little bit. You don't have to nod your head too vigorously. We, you and I both know it's true. We've all experienced that. I think Saul probably thought that Samuel was just trying to make a strong point. But God turned this whole thing around full circle. And exactly what the prophet had said is exactly where King Saul found himself. He'd allowed his pride. He'd allowed his arrogance and his rebellion to take him right into the middle of witchcraft and sorcery. Sin will always take you to places you never thought you could go. Hear me. I'm, I'm talking to somebody tonight. You are on the verge of backsliding. Maybe you are a backslider. And I want to tell you, if you don't turn around and repent very, very soon, you will find yourself in situations you never dreamed you could find yourself in. You'll find yourself doing things you never thought that you could do because that's what arrogance always leads to. God brought the prophet back from the dead to remind King Saul of this truth. And the fact that Saul went out, listen to me, in spite of the fact that Samuel looked at him from the grave and said, if you go out and fight that battle tomorrow, you're going to die and, and your family's going to die. In spite of that, Saul got up the next morning and went out to battle. Proving that Saul had not changed in his pride and in his arrogance. He was still going to do what he wanted to do. It didn't matter what God said, what the prophet said. It didn't matter if God sent a preacher straight from the grave to tell him what was going to happen. He still would not listen to it. That's what arrogance does. And the fact that he went out today proves the truth that Abraham spoke. When Abraham said... If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, then they will not be convinced even if someone raises up from the dead. Jesus quoted that. The story of the witch from Endor reminds us all of the importance and clarity of the divine word that says, He who speaks to the dead soon joins them. When you play around with sin, when you play around with things that are dangerous like that, can I tell you, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, I'll take you to the next slide, and uh, actually, let's keep going to the next one. And I want to talk to you about the spirit of Saul. Everyone said the spirit of Saul. And I'm not going to be long, I promise. I've, I've mentioned the spirit of Saul many times over the years preaching, and uh, because I am of the opinion that the spirit of Saul, I might could better say it, the attitude of Saul or the mindset of Saul is, is strong in the last days. I see a lot of Sauls out there. I talk to a lot of Sauls, a lot of people with that same dangerous mindset. And the first attribute of the spirit of Saul is pride. Everyone said pride. The second one is rebellion. We're living in a very rebellious generation. Uh, it started, uh, it really supercharged in the 60s, and uh, the spirit of rebellion just really got a grip, especially in America in the 60s, and it's just kept on growing. It hasn't stopped growing. The spirit of rebellion is stronger today than it's ever been. Three 
is the attribute of disobedience. Disobedience certainly to God. And, uh, and also right underneath disobedience, you'll see that little box that says disregard for spiritual authority. The attitude of Saul didn't care what the prophet said, didn't care what the preacher said, didn't care what God said. In the end, he was going to do what he wanted to do. Does that sound like the spirit of the age today? Uh, to me, that you might as well just be describing American culture today. We're going to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it. If we want to say homosexuality is okay, then we're going to say that. It doesn't matter what God says or the Bible says or the preacher says. Amen. No one's going to preach with me now. We got real uptight on that one, didn't we? If I want to divorce my wife, I'll find a way to make it okay. It doesn't matter what Jesus said, the Bible says, or God says. We might as well get it real uncomfortable while we're doing it, huh? <laughs> That's the attitude of our culture today. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't want the preacher to have anything to say about it. I don't want the Bible to have anything to say about it. And if they dare say anything, I'll just ignore it and keep on doing what I was going to do. Jealousy. Everyone said jealousy. Jealousy is another attribute of the spirit of Saul. And there's a reason that jealousy creeps in. Number one, pride cannot share the attention with anybody else. That's the nature of pride. Pride can't stand it when anybody else is receiving attention. Pride can't stand it when anybody else is doing well, even if they're doing well for you. Anybody ever had a boss? Anyone ever had a prideful boss before? You know, amen. Some of y'all really getting glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you ever had a, I, I worked year, many, many years, not now, pastor, but many years ago, I had a very prideful boss. <laughs> many years ago, I had a, a, a boss. I mean, he was just, and, and he could ask you to do something. And there was something that I figured out kind of quickly. It was really strange. You had to be careful even if he asked you to do it and you were doing it for him, you could not do it better than him. <laughs> Some of y'all are getting the Holy Ghost. I mean, y'all are feeling this. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Because he would become jealous if you did it better than he could do it. Even though you were doing it for him and ultimately it was going to reflect well on him and make him look good. But he just couldn't take it. So I learned that I had to be very, very careful to make sure that, that I didn't overdo it because he couldn't handle it. His pride couldn't take it. And so that's what pride does. Pride can't share anything with anybody. And spiritual pride is even more dangerous. If somebody else is preaching or somebody else is teaching or somebody else is anointed or somebody else is leading in worship or somebody else is, has a prayer life or somebody else is respected, spiritual pride will seek to destroy those people because they cannot share the attention with anybody else. Can I tell you, it has no business in the house of God. It has no business in the church. It has no business in your life. You better get in a prayer closet and pray it out, pray it out, pray it out, pray it out, pray it out until it's gone. It will destroy you and it will lead you to dangerous places and it will ultimately cause you to backslide, which is exactly what it did to Saul. And of course, uh, the, the ultimate object of Saul's jealousy was David. He hated David, hated David. It's interesting that God refers to him as a, uh, 
uh, a worshiper, in fact, a man after God's own heart, and that's the very person that Saul hated the most. Also, lack of repentance is a clear indication of the spirit of Saul. False worship, worship that says, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, uh, God told me to destroy those, uh, those lambs. Instead, I'm going to sacrifice them and call it worship. In other words, it's an arrogant worship that says, I'm going to worship the way I want to worship. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. And it's a disregard for how God wants us to worship. It's the same spirit that Cain had, by the way. All Cain had to do was just, was just say, okay, instead of bringing fruit, I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice a lamb. I'm going to do it the way God wants me to do. I'm going to bring a blood sacrifice. But instead, he was so prideful and he was jealous of his brother and that God had accepted his brother. He said, no, I'm just going to kill my brother instead. That is the same spirit, spirit of Cain, spirit of Saul, and it's alive and well today. And we should rebuke it as the church and say it has no business in the house of God. We're going to do it the way God wants us to do it. All of this will lead to uh, reprobateness. It will lead to occultism. It will lead to backsliding. It will lead to spiritual oppression depression uh, long before Saul ever went to the witch at Endor he had evil spirits that plagued him it was a terrible thing in fact uh, he got to the place to where he could not get peace he couldn't find rest and it plagued him for the rest of his life all right I want to take you to the next slide moving very quickly here and I want to look at the six major similarities between David and Saul everyone said David and Saul the Lord has been dealing with me about this because David and Saul were not extremely different. In fact, David was not a perfect man. I know that kind of goes against some of your sensibilities because we do a lot of good preaching about David. And how many people just love King David? He's, he's one of the, in fact, I saw a survey recently. They asked uh, who are the top ten most popular Bible characters that people like to read about and, and, uh, and read uh, and preach about. And King David was like number three or four, something like that. He's just about everybody's top ten favorite Bible character. He's one of mine too. But did you know that David committed some terrible acts of sin? In fact, if David was here preaching tonight having committed adultery and murdered the woman's husband, you would have a hard time listening to him preach. David did a lot of bad things. Yes, he did. He was not a perfect person. And if you went through, you could find a lot of things that David did that were, that were very, very bad. And, and him and Saul had a lot of things in common. They both had humble beginnings. David was a shepherd. Saul was a farmer. They both came from, uh, from, from very uh, lower middle class backgrounds. They both sat under the same ministry. They both sat under the prophet Samuel's ministry. They had the same anointing. They were both anointed by the same person, given the exact same anointing, and they were given the same opportunity by God and by the man of God. Neither one of them anointed themselves or sought authority for themselves. Neither David nor Saul went to the prophet Samuel and said, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a king. I want to be a preacher. I want to be the worship leader. I want everybody to respect me. I want to lead mighty armies. I, I, I want to go into battle. I want to lead everybody. Neither one of them went into this seeking glory. They were both 
found by the prophet Samuel. They both had a godly upbringing. They both had a godly heritage and family. And they were both natural-born warriors. All of these things they had in common. But one of them was a, a backslider who has become King Saul, has become synonymous with the idea of somebody who has a great beginning and then descends into a terrible state of backsliding. And one of them, in spite of his flaws and in spite of his failures, is now known today as the great worshiper, the man after God's own heart, perhaps the greatest king in all of Israel's history, the great poet who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Praise the Lord. And, and I've looked at this over the years, and I've found five major differences. There's many, many more, but there's five big ones that are, make the difference between a backslider and someone who served the Lord until the end in spite of failures. Number one, David learned how to worship God for himself rather than depending on the worship of others for strength. When Saul was plagued by evil spirits, he had to call for young David to come play and get the spirits to flee from the place where he was. But David, while out in a shepherd field before anybody knew his name, before he'd ever killed a giant, before he'd ever picked up a sword, he was out in a shepherd field worshiping the Lord with all of his heart. He was getting the harp out and he was singing, the Lord is highly exalted. Great is the name of the Lord. He was in the shepherd field magnifying God and writing psalms and spiritual hymns to the Lord. He developed the heart of a worshiper. He developed the lifestyle of a praiser, and he praised God for himself. We see that demonstrated even when he was a king. The Bible says as a king, he would take off his royal garments and he would dance before the Lord. So much so that people would look and say, I wish our king would be a little more dignified. And let me just pause and say for some of y'all who would like for ministry to be a little more dignified in their worship. Can I tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet. We're going to worship the Lord with everything we have because we're hungry for his presence. We want the ark right in our midst. We want miracle signs and wonders because God is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. I can never get too dignified to praise God with my dance. We should never get so professional that we can't lift up our hands and shout with a voice of triumph. We should never get so cool that we can't just get lost in our worship. I don't care who you are, how long you've been serving God. Every once in a while, you got to take your royal robes off and begin to worship the Lord with your whole heart. David learned how to be a worshiper long before he was ever a leader. Number two, David responded to spiritual rebuke with repentance. I think this is the number one reason that David was able to continue with God. David responded to spiritual rebuke with repentance and great sorrow. When the prophet came to Samuel, Samuel made excuses. He lied. I'm sorry. When, when the prophet came to Saul, when, Saul came, when Samuel came to Saul, he, Saul lied, made excuses, and then he ignored what the prophet said. When the prophet came to David, 
David, when he realized what was happening and that the prophet was talking to him, he began to weep and he began to repent before the Lord. That is the difference. Listen, if you live for God long enough, you're going to mess up. Yes, you are. You're going to do something wrong. There's going to be a moment where you get caught up in something you never thought you could get caught up in. And there's going to be a moment where you're not even recognizing your own sin. In fact, it's incredible to me when the prophet came to David and he described the sheep and the man who'd stolen the sheep from the poor man and all of this. You would think that David would have been so overcome with his with his own conscience that he would have recognized what the prophet was trying to do. But he was he was so caught up that he didn't even realize that the prophet was talking to him. He wasn't self-aware because he was he had justified his sin or ignored his sin in some way. But when he realized what was happening, he repented. Can I just preach to somebody tonight? Maybe you've been serving the Lord for a long, long, long time, and now you've got some things in your life, and, and you're not even paying any attention to them. In fact, the preacher can preach about it, and, and you think he's preaching to everybody else. It's time for you to look in your own heart and say, I am the man. I am the woman. I'm the one. And now, if you want to avoid the spirit of Saul, you better get in a prayer closet and say, Lord, I'm sorry, God. I don't know how I ever let it get this far. Forgive me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Purge me with hyssop, Lord. That's how David was able to continue on with God. Verse 3, or number 3, when David saw a giant problem, he didn't hide from it. You know, when Saul was out there with his army and Goliath was mocking the people of God, Saul should have gone out there immediately and faced the, the giant. I believe that's what God wanted him to do. I believe, I believe that God would have given Saul the victory if Saul would have gone out and faced that giant. You know, there's a whole lot of people who are not meeting their potential in God because they will not have the faith and the courage to step out and do what God wants them to do. And so God said, all right, Saul, if you won't do what you're supposed to do, I'll get a little shepherd boy out here that nobody even knows about. And I'll send him out. He's coming with cheese and bread just to give to his brothers. And I'll get that boy. And he won't even take a sword and he won't even take a spear and he won't even take a shield. He's just going to go out with a slingshot. And he's going to bring that giant down. And it's going to make you look foolish because, Saul, you should have been out there. You should have been praising. You should have been praying. You should have been fasting. You should have been dancing. You should have been winning a soul. You should have had the faith to do it. But instead, I have to get a little boy to go out and do a man's job. God will use anything. If you refuse to do what God calls you to do, God's not going to sit back and wring his hands and say, oh, what am I going to do now? Because brother so-and-so won't do it. Sister so-and-so won't be obedient. No, no. God isn't going to do that. God's going to get somebody else. And God's going to bring them out into the battlefield. And he'll raise them up. He'll give them victory. He'll give them power. He'll give them confidence. And that was the spirit of David. And four. David learned how to serve first. Everyone said serve. Serve. We don't like serving. I'll tell you a little secret about ministry. Uh, what I'm doing right now is about 1% of ministry. Do you know what most of ministry is? It's serving somebody. It's serving someone. 
It's servanthood. That's what the majority of ministry is. It's, it's a servant lifestyle. And long before David killed Goliath and was exalted in any way, he was doing exactly what his father asked him to do. He was just out with the sheep, doing the job nobody else wanted to do. It certainly wasn't the job his brothers were doing. And when his dad said, listen, I want you to just get this cheese and bread. Your brothers are out there. They're, you know, they're fighting. They're in the military. We're, we're proud of them. And so I've got a job for you. Just take this cheese and bread. Can you imagine how it must have felt? Your brothers are out there serving their country in the army of the Lord. And you're back home just taking care of the sheep out in the field. And then your dad says, I want you to go to your brothers and just bring them some cheese and some bread because they're probably hungry right now. David never complained because he'd learned how to serve long before he ever got any kind of victory in his life. Learning to serve is an incredibly important thing. And people who haven't learned how to serve have no business ever trying to lead. Because serving and leading go hand in hand. Take you to the next slide, number, number five. David understood the importance of personal cost and sacrifice. Everyone said sacrifice. Let me read 2 Samuel 24 to you here. A plague had come on the people, and David was concerned about it. And so he went to Aruna. And said, wherefore is my Lord the king come to his servant? So Aruna came out. He saw David coming in the distance, saw his servants coming, saw the military out there. And he ran out to King David and said, why have you come to me, your servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor of thee. I want to buy your threshing floor because I want to build an altar unto the Lord that this plague may be stayed from the people. And Aruna said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments for the oxen for wood. And all these things did Aruna as a king give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, the Lord thy God accept thee. And David said unto Aruna, nay. Everyone said no. But I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offering unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Does everybody see what happened here? David came because he wanted a place to be able to give a sacrifice and he wanted... Uh, to be able to take possession of this area. And when the man came out, he had so much respect for David that he said, I, you don't need to buy it from me. I'll, I'll just give it to you. You can just have it. You can have the oxen. Uh, you can have everything you need to offer up the sacrifice. You can even have the, the, the little piece of land there. All of it's yours. Just take it and offer up the sacrifice. But David understood that if you don't have to pay for it, it's not a sacrifice. Oh, I could preach on that for a long time, but I'm not going to. See, some of you, some of you want to offer up sacrifices, but you're not willing to pay for them. It doesn't work that way. If you don't have to purchase it, if you don't have to give something for it, it's not a sacrifice that God will receive. David understood that instinctively in his spirit. There are some things that you've got to make a sacrifice for before you can make the sacrifice. But God is pleased when you're willing to 
to present the sacrifice to the Lord, when you're willing to give something for it, when it's valuable to you. Let me ask you a question. Some of you have been praying for anointing. You want God to anoint you, but how, how bad do you want it? Are you willing to sacrifice for it, or do you want someone to give it to you? Some of you want to see miracles, signs, and wonders, but are you willing to sacrifice for it? Are you willing to pay for it, or do you just want someone to give it to you? Some of you want th God to do things in your life, but you want a preacher to give it to you. You want someone else. You want a prayer warrior to give it to you. You want to live on mama's prayer life. You want to live on daddy's prayer life. You want to live on your grandma's holiness. You want to live on your grandma's anointing, but you better learn to pay the price yourself. You've got to live holy. You've got to have a prayer life. You've got to learn how to fast. You've got to learn how to give. Amen. Praise the Lord. You've got to learn how to tithe. Oh, we're just going to hit every uncomfortable subject tonight, aren't we? See, we're living in a generation. They want the blessings of God, but they don't want to give anything to God. God, give me, give me, give me, Lord. Give me, Lord. It's the give me generation. We want it all, and we want all the glory, and we want all the power that the elders had, and we want the revivals that the elders had in the old tent meetings, but nobody wants to sacrifice anything for it. I'll tell you how we're going to have revival in the last days. We're going to pay the price for it. We're going to do what it takes. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord, and God will be pleased, and God will honor it. And David understood that. It set him apart from Saul. Saul wanted to use animals that he'd taken from pagan, a pagan king that God told him to destroy with fire. He wanted to use those as a sacrifice. That's the reason he was disconnected from God. But David understood it doesn't work that way. You have to, you have to purchase the sacrifice yourself. Take you to the final slide. Stand with me. I'm closing. Psalm 27 and 7 is a psalm of David. It's a psalm that David wrote when he was coming up against uh, an enemy. It was going to be a, a great battle, and he knew it was going to be a difficult battle to win. And so he wrote this song to the Lord. There's a part of me that wonders if perhaps he was thinking about Saul when he wrote it. Maybe he was thinking about Saul going to that witch at Endor with the armies gathered against him, wondering whether or not he was going to get victory. There's a part of me that wonders if David remembered how Saul cried out to God and God wouldn't respond to him. And, and Saul was seeking a word from God and God wouldn't speak to him in any, in any way, in any shape or any form. And finally, finally he went to a witch. I wonder if David perhaps was remembering this when he said, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou said, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. And I feel in the Holy Ghost right now that someone needs to 
hear that word for yourself right now. Can you say it with me? Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Don't go playing with sin and playing with things and justifying it just because you're not getting what you want right now. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Can we lift up our hands? Some of y'all are waiting for God to speak into your life. And I'm encouraging you to go ahead and be faithful to him while you're waiting. Lift up your hands. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that we could serve you while we're waiting, Lord. I pray that we could trust you while we're waiting, God. I pray that we could repent while we're waiting. I pray that we could get our hearts right while we're waiting, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't backslide while we're waiting, God. In the face of adversity, in the face of pain and struggle, God. Those are moments where it's tempting to start playing and dabbling in things that we should never play with or dabble in. And Lord, I pray the power of the Holy Ghost would strengthen us in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.